Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, we're really glad you guys decided to spend some time with us here this morning. Um, my name is Jeep Underwood, and we're going to be... Uh, it's been a while since I've been up here, and I've really enjoyed hearing from a lot of the other uh, folks in the church and just have really, really gleaned a lot from myself as well. And I just really appreciate just uh, just all the folks that in, this, in this congregation that really walk with God and that really have something to share when they step up here. And so today, we're going to be wrapping up uh, our summer biography series that we've been working through this summer, looking at, we're calling it the Heroes of the Faith. You know, we've been looking at folks that have made a real impact with their life in the world, and we're trying to just pull back the curtain a little bit and see what was behind that life, and then trying to glean some instruction from their lives for our lives. And uh, we all we, all of us want lives that have mattered. And so that's why we're taking some look to see what we can learn from some of these folks. Now, the first the first talk, we went back to the 18th century, and we looked at the life and the impact of William Wilberforce. And then the second talk, we went back to the 19th century, and we looked at the life and the impact of George Mueller. Today, we're going to go back to the 20th century. It's not that big of a leap this time. But we're going to go back to the 20th century, and we're going to look at the life and the impact of a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, I'm sure many of you probably know who Corey Ten Boom is. There may be some that don't. But we're going to be just touching a little bit on her story today. Corey and her family are known for mostly for hiding and protecting Jews in Holland from the Nazis when they were overcome, when they were uh, taken over by the Nazis during World War II. And Corey is really known as a person of hope and a person of forgiveness. That's some earmarks of her life. And so we're going to be looking at some of her story today. And she wrote her story down uh, in a book called The Hiding Place. In fact, if you look on the screen, uh, there's a couple of books I'd recommend uh, if you want to really under, get a lot more out of Corey's life. She has many, many things to teach us. We're looking at a few things this morning. But her book is The, the Hiding Place, great book. And then there's another book. Uh, it's, it's called Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness by Eric Metaxas. And in that, she's one of the seven women. And so if you'd like, a, like to read just a small amount, kind of take you through the story quickly, you can really, he's got a great, he does a great job carrying her story as well. So this morning, what I'd like to do is tell just some snapshots of her story as as we go along. Like I said, she has so many things she could teach us. But as we go along, I'd like to pull out three things that uh, I believe that we can really learn from her this morning. And we'll be touching on those as we go along. So, you know, Corey was born at a very young age. No, I'm kidding. Um, Corey Timbo, she was born in 1892 uh, in Harlem, Holland. And she was the youngest of four. Uh, she had two sisters, Betsy and Nolly, and she had a brother named Willem. And uh, her dad, whose name was Casper, and he was a watchmaker. And he was uh, he ran a family business that started in 1837. And so they, their family business was actually in the home they lived in. So if you take a look at the screen, there's a picture just of their home. The bottom story is the is the uh, the watch shop, and then they lived it. They lived above that in the rooms above, and that was their house that they lived in. Their their home, the atmosphere in their home was one of just gratitude for God. And faith was really at the center of their whole family experience. That's the way she grew up. Her mom led her to, to believe in Jesus uh, when she was about five years old. And Corey immediately wanted to just tell everyone around what Jesus had done for her. 
And it became a real, it was just a real earmark of her life that she always just wanted to share what God had done for her and what He would do for them with other people. And, you know, her mom really taught her compassion. Her dad, she watched him work and she began to really understand the importance of working hard and doing one's best and being meticulous and accurate. And then he always urged his kids really to live out their faith with, with just integrity and honesty and just taking it very seriously. That's something he always did. Their family, like just, just a quick little sweep. One thing that their family was really known is they, they're really known for helping people. They would see needs in the, in the culture and the community they were in and they would see needs and they would go find ways to meet them. A couple of, a few examples would be in World War One. After World War One, the Germans were defeated and they had a terrible time after that. They, uh, they, they, uh, there was, they had a lot of really terrible financial times. Food became a very scarcity and a lot of the kids, the German kids, began to be malnourished and Corey's dad saw this and he started talking to his colleagues and he said, let's bring some of these German kids over. That Holland is right next to Germany. Let's bring some of these German kids over and let's, let's feed them, let's bring them to health and bring them back to their families. Let's take care of these kids. And each of those, a lot of those people he talked to took in one or two people. His family took in four. And they, they, they did that. They helped these German kids, uh, get back on their feet. Then in, uh, 1921, Corey lost her mother. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of her family, uh, just before that. This is she and her, bro- her brother and her two sisters, her dad and her mom. But she lost her mom, uh, to a series of strokes. And then soon thereafter, Corey's uh, sister Nolly and her brother Willem got married, left the home, and started their own families. But she and her sister Betsy remained in the home, and uh, they stayed living with their, their dad, helping out in the watch shop. But what they did is, continually seeing the needs of the people around them, they looked around, and in the 19, uh, 1920s, they saw a real need for young women just to be taught. And just to be, just to have some instruction. So they started some young youth groups, youth clubs for girls. And they became so popular that, uh, they recruited a bunch of leaders and it was like this whole network of youth clubs. And one earmark of these youth clubs was that they, they shared the scripture regularly with the kids and helped them understand the scriptures. And many girls came to faith through their efforts. And then in the 1930s, just as another example, uh, their family decided to take in seven missionary kids because their families were abroad. And just so they wouldn't have to go to boarding school, they actually raised these seven kids over several years. And they taught them, like homeschooled them, and they launched them out. That's just what her family was like. But then, getting into the story that I want to, I really want to share today and some of the snapshots, is in 1940 is when the dark days began to really come. And that's when World War II Began to begin, and on May fourteenth, nineteen forty, Hitler ordered the first airborne assault, the largest airborne assault that had ever been done, uh, on Holland, about thirty miles away from where Corey lived, and so she woke up in the middle of the night, terrified, hearing the bombs falling, hearing the sirens going off, and then uh, the next day, what they found in the aftermath is about seventy-eight thousand people were homeless, and uh, nine hundred people had died. And thousands of people were wounded. It was just a horrible thing. Five days later, the Nazis said uh, they, they threatened to, to do it again, and uh, Holland surrendered. And so within just a few days, German tanks are rolling down the streets that Corey grew up playing on. And that's what I want to do right now is 
in fact, let's take a look, take a look at this image on the screen, just because you can have a picture where Germany were, Holland is the Netherlands in that picture. You can kind of see how close they were, and Germany took the, their part of the conquest that Germany had done. As I said earlier, Corey, um, Corey had written a book, um, she'd written a book called The Hiding Place, and there was a movie that was made from that. And so I'd like us to watch a trailer from that movie, just to give you kind of a picture of what the world looked like to her after that. And then you also get kind of a picture of really what Corey was like and the love she had for people. You know, there's many things that, that we can learn uh, from Corey. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the German occupation, when it came, there was just a lot of changes. They did, they did is they took away their telephones. They took the bicycles away. Uh, they gave everyone identity cards. They gave everyone ration cards. You can only, they limited the amount of food that people could have to ration out the food. And as you saw in the, in the, in the, in the trailer, the conditions for the Jews just became progressively worse. Until finally, there were times when they'd see Jewish homes that were empty, and they didn't know, did they run away, did they hide, or did someone take them? There was just this real angst in their lives. And uh, I want to pull out three things. Like I said, there's many things we can learn from Corey, but I'd like to pull out three things today and tell more of this story as we go uh, that we can really learn if we want to have a difference in our lives, make a difference in our lives as well. But we need, the first one is, we need to give our lives away for others. We need to give our lives away for others, from uh, for others. In nineteen, in November, nineteen forty-one, Corey saw something that just really shook her to the core. Uh, there were four German soldiers uh, came into the store that was next to theirs, and they pulled the, sh- the Jewish shop owner out at gunpoint, had him against the wall, and 
three soldiers went inside, started just breaking things up and started stealing whatever they wanted. Until finally the guy with the gun decided he was going to go in too. And they went out and they grabbed him and they said, come into our shop. And they saved him from that. And they they got a hold of Corey's brother, Willem, and he found them a safe place outside the city of Harlem. And so they were, they were able to save that man and his, uh, and his wife. But then, you know, Corey had to decide where she was going to go with this. So they, they just kind of got in, they got involved and they had to decide where they're going to go with this. And there's a, there's just a lot of concern. If, if you threw in with the Jewish people, then you could really suffer their fate. And so it was a real decision point to make. And when I think of that decision point that they made, I think of, uh, 1 Timothy 1 5, where Paul says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I, as I was thinking about that verse and, and her story, I, it, it dawned on me that for her to keep a good conscience, to be able to not look away in the face of people that really needed help, she needed to have a sincere faith, to really trust God, to do that scary thing, to help people that were really under oppression and to really show them love. And just that's really what she decided to do. In fact, uh, soon after that, she made her mind up and she she prayed this prayer. This is what she wrote. She wrote, uh, Lord Jesus, in fact, I think there's a slide for this. Lord Jesus, I offer myself for your people in any way, any place, any time. And for her, that, that was a huge deal in her family. And so when she made that decision, people started coming. And uh, the first the first lady uh, knocked on the alley door and said she needed help. They brought her in. A couple nights later, an elderly couple uh, knocked on the door, said they needed help. And they brought them in, and they had three people living with them then. And then they decided, they started to realize they needed more food. They needed to be able to handle this. And so the ration cars began to be an issue, and... Corey remembered that she knew someone at the food office. She remembered a guy she knew at the food office, and she prayed that God would give her some discernment whether she should approach him or not, and she finally decided she would. She went and talked to him, and he said, uh, well, how many do you need? And she just said, a hundred. <laughs> and uh, he couldn't just take them because they tracked them, and so he staged a robbery, and he took those cards he came and he gave them to their family. So they had a hundred ration cards, which opened up a whole possibility of being able to help the Jewish people. Because when you take someone to another person's home, by giving them a ration card, you actually gave them the ability to have the food they needed to take care of them. And so this guy, this guy, uh, began, he continued to help them throughout the next couple of years. And also they had an architect friend, uh, who came in and he said, you know what, you need a place to hide these folks. Like if the Gestapo comes in and you don't know they're coming in, you need a place where these folks can hide that are with you. And so he came in and he designed and he built something in Corey's bedroom. In fact, take a look at the next slide. This is a picture of the of the room. This is her bedroom. And there's an opening there that's a brick wall, and there's about two and a half feet behind that wall where six or seven people could stand and and hide. And the way in, if you look at that closet, the very bottom panel, it actually slides open and it slides closed, but it's almost undetectable from anyone. And so that's, that's, that's what they had. And they had a buzzer that if you sent out the buzzer, like if someone was down the watch shop and the Germans came in, they could hit the buzzer and the, the Jewish folks would know they need to run and hide. So they had like, they had the system set up. 
And after, after about 18 months of helping uh, many, many Jewish people, their home really became the center of an underground ring in Holland. They became the center of what God was doing to help the Jewish people right there in Holland. And Corey wrote this. He wrote, we had to go on, but we knew the disaster could not be long in coming. They were just helping too many people. And they just knew a sense of foreboding that something was going to happen. And then on February 28th, 1944, a stranger came into the shop and he said his wife had been arrested and he needed some money to bribe the policeman to let her go. And Corey was really sick with the flu, and so she sent a friend to go get some money for him. She went back to bed because she was so under the weather. And she woke. She was woken up several hours later by the sound of the buzzer and the sounds of running feet. And she had several of her Jewish friends running past her bed going into the hiding place. And then right after the door shut, uh, the, the German uh, Gestapo officer came in and told her, I get out of bed, get dressed. And he, he began, he began uh, slapping her and beating her and interrogating her and saying, where are the Jews? You know, where are your ration cards? Where, where is your secret room? He knew all kinds of things and she never answered. But what she did is she, she just, she just cried out and she said, Lord Jesus, help me. And it made this guy really mad, but he stopped beating her. And what they did is the Germans took, uh, uh, Corey, her dad, her sister, Nolly, uh, Willem, and actually Nolly's son, Peter, and 35 other people who had come by the watch shop that day arrested them and took them to the police station that night. And that ended, that ended their ability to really help the Jews at that time. But they were arrested now. And over that course of a year and a half to two years, they estimate that her family were instrumental in saving about 800 Jews. 800 people who would have been killed, who were saved, and actually been to have live and actually have generations after that. Huge impact on the world. Now, the second thing that I'd like, a lesson I'd like to pull out of, of what, uh, of Corey's life is just, just to trust God when things get hard. Trust God when you're suffering through things that are really, really hard. You know, that night at the, at the police station after much interrogation, the prisoners kind of gathered around Casper uh, Ten Boom, Corey's dad, and he was praying. And one of the things he prayed was Psalm 119, 114, and 117. In fact, it will be on the screen. And he just prayed, Father, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Hold me up that I may be safe. And everyone just resonated with them. And those those words really capture how Corey endured that what was coming next in her life. And what happened next is they were all taken to prison and they were separated and they received word that the people that were hiding in her secret room after three days were, were saved. They, they were res- rescued. So it's very, very encouraging. And then after a few months, after a few months in prison, Betsy and Corey were put back together and they were sent to Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp in northern, in northern Germany. And I want to share just a few things that happened there in that uh, concentration camp that where you can really see how God really was their shield and their hiding place as they really hoped in his word. So when they arrived at the camp, one of the first things that happened is they were told to strip down and they had to go take showers. And Corey knew 
that, uh, first of all, they really wanted to keep their Bible, and there's some vitamins that, that Betsy needed for her health. And so she asked, you know, where's the, uh, where's the restroom? And so they told her, and she went, and she took a sweater, and she wrapped the Bible and these vitamins up, and she hid them under a bench. And then after they went through the shower and they got their prison clothes on, then Corey stuffed that bundle in her dress, and it was very lumpy. And, you know, you couldn't really hide that very well. And as they left the shower, it got really tense because the SS men were out there uh, looking at everybody, uh, uh, really searching every woman that came out. And they searched every woman except Corey. And then the next thing is they had to be searched by women, female guards, every woman. And every woman was searched except Corey. And she got through there with both the vitamins and the Bible that they was so precious to them. And so they wound up having this, this, uh, he had the scriptures with them and they're extremely grateful and they could see how God was just really helping them in the midst of this. And then they were moved into some barracks and these barracks, in fact, take a look at the screen. This is a picture of the, these are the barracks at Ravensbrook and you can just, just get kind of just a, a picture of just how crowded the conditions were. They're very overcrowded. Uh, women were just stacked in there and the bedding was straw. And when they went in there, the bedding was just rancid and it was full of fleas, just overcome with fleas. And Corey was just horrified. And Betsy just reminded her, said, Corey, do you remember, remember what we were reading this morning in the, when we were reading the Bible? And she took her back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 8 through 18 that he just read. Said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then Betsy asked her, you know what, let's, let's thank God for the Bible that we have. Let's thank God for the overcrowded conditions. And let's thank God for the fleas. And Corey said, she says, Betsy, there's no way that God could ever make me grateful for a flea. And she just kind of stood her ground for a while and Betsy talked to her and Betsy told her, you know, uh, this is just an act of obedience. So Corey listened. And uh, she she spent some time with God, and she said, God, I thank you, even for the fleas. And she kind of worked through that. Now, also, you know, at the camp, we saw the picture of them uh, and the kind of the work that they had to do. But they were just, these ladies were in their 50s, and they were working them very, very hard, like they were, you know, like young men kind of work. And at the end of every day, after they're so exhausted, what Corey and Betsy would do if they would hold worship services in their barracks. They'd get the women around them. They had their had the Bible. And so they would spend some time singing and, and just relating to each other and then sharing uh, some things from the Scriptures. And I'd like to share just a quote that she wrote about those times. Corey said this. She said, At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible. Because only the Hollanders could understand the Dutch text, we would translate aloud into German. But when we would hear, and then we would hear the life-giving words passed back along the aisles in French, Polish, Russian, Czech, and then back into Dutch. There, these were little previews of heaven, these evenings beneath the light bulb. They just had one little light bulb that they could use. And these were very meaningful, meaningful times that they had, and it really helped, it really helped there. Now they always wondered, they kept thinking it was really wondered that the guards never did come in and disrupt these meetings, disrupt the things that they were doing. Then one day Betsy uh, had some work they gave her to do in the barracks. 
And she had a question, so she went out and she asked her supervisor, hey, could you come show me something? And the supervisor wouldn't come to the door. And then she found out the guards wouldn't come to the door. And she went and talked to Corey later, and she said, you know why they won't come to the door? And Corey said, no. She said, the fleas. They hate the fleas. The fleas, they don't want to come in here. And that's when, you know, Corey, Corey began to see that that even with the fleas, that God, what God was doing is he prepared a space. He was giving them a space in which they could really have a ministry and really not only encourage themselves, but really, uh, really give God's care and concern to other people at that time. And what Corey said is that the atmosphere of the barracks over a few months, it really changed. She said instead of bitter cursing and just bitterness and anger, she said that the the uh, the inmates began to speak a lot more kindly to each other, and the atmosphere in their barracks was very different than a lot of the other barracks. And God had really used them to make a difference with the other people that were also suffering. She had an analogy. Corey had an analogy for like when you're going through hard times that I wanted to share with you today. She said that when you're going through hard times, when you're suffering through hard times, it's like you're looking at a tapestry that's being woven. But you're looking from the bottom up. You're looking up. And all you can see is these fragmented strings that just don't make any sense. But he said, she said that God, when he's looking, he's weaving from the top down. And so when he looks down, he sees the picture he's creating. He sees what he's doing. And so really we can trust God because even though we look up and all we can see is what we're facing, we know that God really is weaving together a picture and that all things work together for good to those who love God are called according to his purpose. So trusting God is just resting in him and his word when you can, you really can only see the threads that are hanging down at your face. And so I'd like to move to, I'd like to move just to a, a third thing that I think a lesson that we can really pull from, from Corey's life. And that is we just need to develop a lifestyle of forgiveness. A lifestyle of it, where forgiveness is just kind of the way we roll. And that's something for her. If you read her book, over and over again, time after time, she came to places where she had to forgive someone. And, and it, got, it got harder and harder, the things that she was forgiving people for. So, very sadly, um, because of the, the ill treatment, Betsy, her sister, became very ill. And she passed away just before Christmas in 1944. And it was just really hard, really hard time for Corey. Then three days later, Corey hears her name being spoken out of the, out of the, uh, intercom, the, uh, out of the loudspeaker. And they told her to go somewhere. So she went where it told her to go and they handed her a certificate of discharge. And within a few days later, she was discharged from the concentration camp and she was free and she never knew why. Later, she found out that there was a, there was a clerical, clerical error and that she wasn't supposed to be released. In fact, all the women, about a week later, her age and older, uh, were taken away and they were killed because of the shortage of food that was going through uh, Germany at the time. And so God had really saved her out of that. Now, during that time uh, of the World War II, she had lost her brother. She had lost her dad. She had lost her sister. And she found out later that she lost her sister's son, Peter. He had also died in a concentration camp. Now, Corey, one thing she'd seen through her life is that the way to forg- the way to freedom is just through forgiveness. And 
after the war, she began, for three decades, she traveled all over the world sharing her story and God's forgiveness that he wants to give to people and also that we need to forgive people that have really harmed, that have really harmed us. But in, in 1947, when she started this, she'd been doing this for about a year and a half, she said, she said that she was tested. Uh, she came to a real test because she was in Germany. She'd gone, she's doing a speaking tour through Germany trying to bring God's forgiveness to the Germans. And she was in Munich. And I'd like to read this account of what happened in her words. This is, a, this is how she wrote it. And so I just want to read her story. It was, she said, it was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgets. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast him into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And that's when I saw him working his way through the crowd. One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat, but the next I saw the blue uniform and a visored cap. He had been a guard at Ravensburg concentration camp. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp from the parchment skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop that was hanging at his belt. It was the last, it was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. Uh, no, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I've done there. And I would like to hear from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had to be forgiven every day, and I couldn't do it. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It couldn't have been, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand out, hand held out, but to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. There was a current that started at my shoulder, and it raced down my arm, and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being and brought tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God, the former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. 
I learned a lot from hearing her say that. Um, there's freedom. There's freedom that comes when you forgive those who need it. And, uh, and I thought of her example. I can't think of a more extreme, think of very many more extreme circumstances than she had at that moment. And the freedom that came from her. Um, as I close this morning, I, I want to just give an analogy that Corey, that Corey gave for forgiving. Because I, I found it also very instructive. Um, she talked about a few years later when she was trying, she was forgive, she had forgiven someone. But what they'd done was, was really hurtful. And they, she'd forgiven them, but then every night she would wake up and she would think about what they'd done and she would, she couldn't get it out of her mind and she would get upset. And she was having a hard time sleeping. For a couple of weeks she wasn't sleeping very well. And finally she talked to a, a friend of hers who was a pastor and she said, she told him what was happening and was asking him for his help. And he said, you know, Corey, I think, I think forgiveness is kind of like a church bell. He says, look at the church bell there. And he says, you know, when you pull the church bell, when you pull it down, it rings the bell. And then when it swings back, you pull the bell again. You keep pulling that cord, and that bell just keeps going back and forth and ringing. He said, but when you let go of that rope, he says, what happens is the bell still rings. But every time it rings, it's a little less, a little less, till finally it's silent. He says, you know, forgiveness is just letting go of the rope. And he said, when you let go of the rope, he said, you might still have angry feelings some as it goes back and as it goes back and forth. He says, but it will, you'll see them diminish as you really forgive people. And she said that about a week later, uh, he was right. The, the, the ringing stopped. And she just, it was just, I thought it was a great lesson for, for, for me. And I thought for us this morning. And so as we, as we look forward, as we go out from here today, you're looking at some next steps, things that we can do in light of just connecting with Corey. Uh, one thing is, each of us can just think through, you know, who's someone we can give our lives away to this week? What is there a need around you that you can meet? Uh, look for a ways you can meet a need. Uh, another thing that you might you might be able to do is, you know, think through, what where do I need to trust God and His Word in what I'm currently facing? Where do I need to trust God and His Word when I'm currently facing? And then another another thing is just to think through, is there someone that that we need to forgive? There's someone that you need to forgive, but you just never let go of the rope yet. So I'd encourage each one of us to really think through those things today. And uh, with that, I would like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And on your connection card, if you finish filling those out, you can just go ahead and throw those in the offering bucket when it comes by. And... Uh, Let me pray for us as we continue. Father, God, I thank you for the life of Corey Timboom. And God, I pray that you would uh, show me this week how I can really take these lessons to heart and walk with you like she did. In Jesus' name, amen.